All right. Well, anyways, my name is Dave Shive. I'm one of the pastors here at TBA, and it's an honor to be with you uh, this morning. We are in the middle of our Momentum series, talking about our favorite topic, money. And I was, as I was writing this message, it dawned on me, we probably never really explained momentum to you, why we're calling it momentum. Does anybody know what, why we're calling it momentum? Does anybody have any? That's what I thought. So um, let me explain it to you real quickly. Um, Momentum is a tool developed by Dave Ramsey, and basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to help churches all across the country to be everything that God has called them to be. And the idea is is that if you remove the burden of debt that plagues Christians, then we can unleash the potential of God's people, and that the impact that we would have on the community around us would be an unstoppable momentum. And so when we went to the Momentum Conference, we went to the conference and heard what it was about We knew that God was calling TBA to be a part of this, and it was the first step that we had to take as a church to be the church that God has called us to be. And I know that's just a real quick explanation, but I wanted you to know what it was about in case you didn't know. So let's review what we've talked about the past couple of weeks. Brian Legg started us off by talking about the fact that we can't serve two masters, that we either have to serve God or money. And the truth is, is that most of us, we're a slave to our stuff. We spend money that we don't have on things that burden us down. And that debt that we have, it enslaves us. It really does. It enslaves us. And the solution to that is to learn how to be content with what God provides for us. That in our contentment with God, we find freedom from those materialistic things. And then last week, Ed talked to us about the importance of saving and investing And and Ed said, how we handle our money is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. See, God will not entrust true riches to us if we can't handle the money that he's given us. And so it's our responsibility to save, not, not for the sake of becoming rich, but for the sake of others. See, when we save, it benefits our family because we have emergencies that arise and we're able to take care of our family. When we save, it benefits those that are in need. Because when they're in need, we're able to give to them as God calls us to give. But ultimately, we're investing in the kingdom of God. And if we truly want to leave a legacy that endures forever, then we need to be investing our resources and the good works that God calls us to. So today, we're going to talk in that same vein, and we're going to talk about how God owns it all. And Ed alluded to this last week when he said, you can't take any of it with you, that there are no hearses pulling U-Hauls. And he showed us these two verses. The first one's in Psalms 24, and it's the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And the second verse was from 1 Corinthians. Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. So the theme is, is that God owns it all, and he's looking for good stewards to manage his stuff. So I want to start this morning, and I want us to imagine for a bit I want you to imagine if you were offered a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, if you were offered a a once-in-a-lifetime job, suppose a company approaches you with this amazing job offer, and they say to you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put $2 million into your bank account. $2 million of the company's money is going to go into your bank account. Okay? Now, you can spend that $2 million any way you want. You can buy a house with it. You can buy clothes, you can buy a car, you can buy food to eat, you can buy a boat, you can buy whatever you want. 
It's up to you. You spend it how you want. But after the contract is over, when the contract is done, it all goes back to the company. The house, the stuff, the cars, the clothes, the money, all goes back to the company. And what we're going to do is we're going to sit down with you and we're going to go line by line through your purchases. And the money that you make, your salary, your take-home pay, is going to be based on how you spent that money and the return that you got on that money. Your commission will be based on the return that you got of the investment of the $2 million that was given to you and put in your bank account. <clears throat> now, if that was true, how careful would you be on spending that $2 million? I mean, how would it change your perspective on things that you buy and the stuff that you accumulate? How wasteful would your spending be on things that have no value? See, I don't know about you, but I would be very careful about what shows up on my accounting report. See, I think our perspectives would be very different if we viewed our money the same way. And the truth is, is that's the perspective that God wants you to have on the money that he gives you. Because you see, we're in a similar contract, if you will, with God. See, on average, a family will have $2 million passed through their hands. Now, some people get a little less, some people get a little more. But on average, $2 million goes through your hands in a lifetime. And the truth is, is all that money is God's. All of it. Not just the portion that we set aside to give back to him. All of it is his. Now, we see that money and we go, hey, that's, that's my money. I earned that. I worked for it. The sweat of my brow, my labor brought that money in, so it's mine. Well, I want to read a story to you from the book of Deuteronomy, because that's not the case. Look in chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and turn to that why I set up the context of this story. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is re is relates God's commands to the nation of Israel. And see, God had just brought them out of slavery from Egypt. He had delivered them. And as they were going through the desert, he was providing for their every need. He was giving them food every morning. He was protecting them. He was blessing them in battle. And he was ultimately leading them to the promised land. But the problem was, is Israel had this reputation for complaining about everything. And so God gives them this warning. And it starts in verse 7. It says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It's a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. It's a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, now look at this, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. See, how often do we do that? I mean, we forget so quickly that God is the source of our success. I mean, when things are going great, we forget to give God the credit. See, and that's why in verse 10 he gives them this advice. He says, when you're satisfied, when you're content, when you're fulfilled, your first response should be to thank God and praise him for what he's done. Now think about that for a moment. How often do we do that? 
How often do we thank God for providing for us? I mean, I know we're used to thanking God every time we have a meal, but what about your paychecks? When you get paid or when you look at your direct deposit, do you look at that and go, God, thank you for providing for me? See, sometimes I think it's easier for us to praise God when we're suffering than it is to praise him in our success. I don't know about you, but for me, it's in those times of suffering that I cry out to God the most. It's in those times that I really draw close to him. And I'm thankful for that. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful that God allows us to suffer and that we draw close to him because it's in those times that he does draw us. But what happens when the storm is over? What happens when the crisis is averted and our prayers are answered? See, God wants us to stay there. He wants us to stay in that closeness. He wants us to stay in his presence like we were when we were crying out for him. But often what happens is when things go good, when things are better, we start to walk away from God. And that's because our success blinds us. It blinds us to the provision that God has given us. It lulls us into this false security of self-sufficiency. And it leads us away from him. When things are going good, I mean, when we get that promotion, when we get that raise in our salary, it's easy for us to sit back and think that we deserve these things. And then we convince ourselves that our blessings are a result of our own hard work. And we slowly lose sight of God. And we get this sense of entitlement to our stuff. But look at verse 12. It says, when you have become full and prosperous and you have built fine homes to live in and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have been multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Don't forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its snakes and its scorpions, where it was hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did all of this. He did all of this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did this so you would never say to yourself, look at this, so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But I assure you of this. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing to them, you will certainly be destroyed. In other words, if we keep our eyes on our own accomplishments, then our hearts become very proud. And that becomes very dangerous for us. Because pride is one of the few things in Scripture that God says that he hates. See, do not forget that God provides everything. The overriding theme in this passage is clear. God did it. God did it. Whatever you think you've accomplished, think again. We are called to remember the Lord because he is the one who gives us the ability to produce wealth. God owns it all. God owns it all. And it, just, it doesn't just mean our stuff and our money. 
When I say that God owns it all, I mean that God gives us the ability, the resources, the skills, and the talents that we have. God gives us the opportunity to earn money. He gives our bodies strength and energy to work. He gives our employers money to pay us with. God gives us our homes and jobs and families and business partners, ideas, creativity, dedication, initiative. He gives all of this to us because he loves us and because he wants us to use what we have to bring about the good that he's called us to do. It's all his. It's all his. He's just giving it to us to manage on his behalf. And we have to have that perspective that it all comes from God. We have to have that perspective before we can understand how God wants us to use what he's given us. Because if we don't have that right perspective of who God is and what he's asking us to do, then we're going to fail at being a manager. We're going to fail at being a good manager of his stuff. See, I was serious when I said that each of us are in that contract about that job. We are. We're all in that contract. What God has given you will be accounted for when you stand before him. Do you hear me? It will be accounted for when you stand before him. When Ed said how you handle your money is a direct reflection of your relationship with God, you better believe what he says. Better yet, believe Jesus because he said it first. This is a test. What we have, this life that we live, what God has given us, this is a test of faith and obedience. It is. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He's telling, he's, uh, telling a parable to his disciples. And he says this. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And the servant to whom he had trusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, 
you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. What he's saying is if you think that I'm this harsh master, if that's the way you look at me, if you really see me that way, then you should have at least invested my money in the bank. But you didn't even do that. So he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And, those who have an, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, this is a parable that you've probably all heard before. Other translations call it the parable of the talents. And sometimes people get that word confused because they think talents means ability, but that's not what it means at all. See, a talent is just a weight of measure. It's a weight of measure. A talent was about 75 pounds. And what he's saying here is this is 75 pounds of a precious metal. Now, the NLT translates it into silver, but it could easily have been gold. Either way... This parable in Matthew is right in the middle. It's right in the middle of a bunch of other teachings that Jesus is giving to his disciples about the end of time and his second coming. And I wish we had time to read through all of it because when you look at all of it in the context of Matthew, it really gives this parable a new meaning. And it's really cool to see because the parable before this one, right before this one, is the parable of the ten virgins. And the whole point of the parable of the ten virgins is basically be on the lookout for Christ's return because he's coming soon. And we should be living our lives in a way that says God is going to send Jesus back at any moment. So I need to be anticipating that. It could be today or tomorrow. And then the passage right after this parable of the talents is where Christ talks about that final judgment day when the sheep and the goats are going to be separated. Meaning all of mankind, all of mankind is going to be standing before God in judgment. And in that judgment, there are going to be some on the right and there are going to be some on the left. And Jesus says to those on the left, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And when I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And those on their left are going to say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, naked, sick, or in prison and refuse to help? And Jesus says, when you refuse to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you refuse to help me. So it's almost like Jesus is saying with these three passages of Scripture, look, be on the lookout because I am coming back really soon. But while you're on the lookout, make sure that you're being a good steward of what I've given you. Make sure you're using it well because there's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming and you're going to be held accountable. And to me, he's saying how we use our money, how we use the things that God has given us might be a good reflection of which side we stand on in that judgment day. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to paint a picture of a works-based salvation. I'm not. Because just like we talked about in our Trusting, Believing, and Acting series, salvation is a free gift from the grace of God and from the grace of God alone. 
We are saved only because of the amazing sacrifice of Jesus. And we're bought with a price. We are bought with an unpayable price, a debt that we can never repay. But because we are bought by the blood of Jesus, we have a responsibility to live for him. And I don't even know if responsibility is the right word because it's more than just a duty. It's more than just an obligation. See, it's out of a deep, compassionate love for Jesus that we follow him. I mean, I do what I do and we do what we do in serving and giving and trying to live pure, following his commandments. We do all of that, all of it, because of how much he loves us and how much we love him. See, God doesn't want you to give out of obligation. He doesn't want you to do that. That's what the Israelites were doing in Malachi. They were bringing their blind and lame animals to the temple for sacrifice. And God says, God says, how I wish one of you would just shut the temple doors. Shut the doors so these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, and I will not accept your offerings. See, God doesn't want our leftovers. God desires the best, the best of what we have to offer. And the best of what we have to offer comes straight off the top, straight off the top. In Exodus, he says, the best of your first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of your Lord. See, that's why you're going to hear, for those of you going through FPU, that's why you're going to hear all throughout it, giving comes first. Giving comes first. And let me be clear about this, because I've heard some of you say, well, we can't give right now because we're trying to get out of debt. And Dave Ramsey says, we've got we to stay on baby step number three. So until we get baby step number three accomplished, we can't really give. That's not what Dave Ramsey says. It's not. If you listen very carefully, he makes it very clear, giving comes first. See, giving is not a budgeted item in the Dave Ramsey plan. A budgeted item gets moved around. It gets adjusted depending on our circumstances. Sometimes it even gets postponed. Giving is done first. Then what you have left over, you create a budget out of. Because God wants the best of what we have. God is looking for generous hearts that are giving consistently, proportionately, and even giving sacrificially. Because sometimes God calls us to do things that don't make sense on paper. And I wish we had time to talk about it more because there are so many scriptures that talks about giving in a way that's really cool to see how it's linked to trusting God and God proving his faithfulness in our lives. But the point I want you to get you to, the point I want you to get today is that God wants you to give to him because you love him. Because you're so deeply in love with him. So it all comes back to heart. All this stuff that we've been talking about, it all comes back to heart. I give and I manage my money, not because it's a requirement, but because I love God so much. And I want to be everything, everything that he's called me to be. But the problem is, is our hearts are imprisoned. See, the debt that we have, the debt to our stuff, it imprisons our hearts. And if you don't think that's true, I want you to look at this. 
Now, we didn't get everybody's info, but we got 75 families' info. So this represents 75 families in this church body, okay? 75 families in this church body. We have $2 million in consumer debt. $2 million. That averages to $27,000 a family of consumer debt. That is crazy. That's crazy. We are enslaved. We are enslaved to our debt. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. That's why we're doing this series. That's why we've asked the whole church to go through FPU. Because we want to free hearts. We want to free your heart to be able to love Jesus with all that you have. And when we see that all that we have is his, and when we're obedient to him and we manage what he has given us well, and we give back to him what's his anyway, then we're free. We're free to love without end. So let me get to the point of everything I'm trying to say. About a month ago, we put a challenge out to the church for a year. And you guys all got those little magnets, that little magnet with those challenges on that. One of the things on, uh, on that challenge was to tithe 10% of your income. Not because 10% is a requirement. Remember, it's about heart. But because 10% is a good starting place. And let me say this. And again, we don't have time to go into all of it. I wish we did. But in all my study this week on giving and all the things that I found that the Bible said about giving, 10% is a minimum. Do you hear what I'm saying? And everything that I studied, Old Testament and New, 10% is a minimum of what we should be giving back to God. So if you're not giving 10%, maybe you and God need to sit down and have a serious conversation about what you should be giving. So we chose 10% because it's a good starting place and because it takes a good amount of trust and faith to give 10% back to God. And then there's something powerful that happens when a church begins to trust God so fully that the whole church is tithing 10% of their income. Something powerful happens when a church loves God so much that they're willing to give sacrificially in ways that they never thought they would before. Something powerful happens when a church says, yes, God, we will do whatever it takes for your glory. And that powerful thing is that God begins to move in and through his people. And amazing things happen. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, listen to me, TBA, God is doing amazing things through this church. God is doing amazing things through the, through the people of TBA, and we are starting to see it. People are stepping up and giving for the first time in their lives. That's strongholds that are being broken by the Spirit of God. People are serving for the first time, saying, put me wherever you need me. People have a new sense of purpose about them, an excitement and anticipation of what God is going to do. And we've been praying about this. Us as pastors, we've been praying about this for years now. And we believe that this is the first step. This is the first step to unleashing God's power here. And believe me, it's just the tip of the iceberg. God has big plans for TBA Church. I can feel it in my bones. 
And I'm warning you now. I'm telling you. I'm warning you now. You need to be ready when it comes. That's why we've started down this path about finances and FPU. Because we want you to be ready. We want you to be out of debt. And we want you to be ready to be a part of the vision that's here. We want you to be serving in anticipation of God moving. We want you to be giving, expecting great things out of your sacrifice. We want you to be ready so that when God moves, you're not missing out on everything he has to offer. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And while they're doing that, let me leave you with this story and explain the envelopes that you got today. See, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting back there at a cafe table, and I was sitting back there, and I was listening to Brian Legg's message. And Brian Stiverson had just come off the stage, and he came down, and he sat next to me. And I must have looked really pained, because he asked me if everything was okay. And I told him, as I'm going to tell you, I was thinking about what to say for this message today. And I wanted so... I wanted so desperately for you to hear my words and know that they come from deep within my heart. I wanted you to know that I'm not just this stereotypical preacher standing up here begging you to give money to the church. I wanted you to see that I am, as well as the other pastors are, we are sold out. We're sold out to what God wants to do here. And I felt God telling me, I felt God say to me, I want you to lead by example. And I was like, but God, I do. We do lead by example. I mean, our pastors are in the top ten givers of this church. And I don't say that as a badge of honor. Believe me, it's not a badge of honor. And I don't even want to get to how it shouldn't be that way here. But God was saying, Dave, lead by example. And I want you to go beyond that. Go beyond what you're already doing now. I want you to be crazy. Be sacrificial. Be sacrificial in a way that requires complete trust in me. And I got to be honest with you, I was really scared. I still am. I'm still scared about it. And I guess that's what Brian saw on my face. You can open your envelopes now. Because what God was saying to me, God was saying, I want you to give a thousand dollars above your normal tithe to the church. Not to the church organization, but to you, the church body. And that scared me in a couple of ways. First, I don't have $1,000 to give. I don't. You need to know this month alone, this month alone in April, I have a $2,500 tax bill due April 15th. I have a $2,800 insurance bill that has to be paid April 20th. I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills without that $1,000. I don't know how I'm going to do it. God does. I don't. Plus our house is in desperate need of painting on the inside and out. We need carpet so bad. Our cars are eight years old and they're starting to have issues. So that money, that money is needed in a lot of other places. The second thing I was worried about, and don't take offense to this, I was worried about giving it to you. Because I don't want it to be wasted. I mean, if I gave it to the organization, at least I would know that it would go to somebody in need. But in both circumstances, God was saying this to me. God was saying, trust me. Trust me. 
I will take care of your needs. And you're not giving to them, you're giving to me. Just bring your two fish and I will multiply it to feed thousands. So that's what I've done. You are holding $1,000 of my money. Well, it's not mine really, right? Right? It's God's. It's just what God's entrusted me with. So anyway, some of you got more, some of you got less, just like the parable. But this is what I would ask of you. Use it for God's kingdom. I know it's not a lot to you individually, but it's a lot to me. So use it for God's kingdom. Multiply it. Add to it. Invest it. Use it as a catalyst. I don't know what it looks like, but be creative. Maybe you go to Publix today and you buy food, double that, and bring it for the food pantry. Maybe you write on it your commitment to say, I'm going to go to Honduras and this is the first dollar, five dollars, ten dollars that I save for that mission trip. Maybe you begin to save in faith, waiting for God to provide a house in Highland City for this church. Maybe you use it just to invite a neighbor out for a cup of coffee to talk about God. Maybe it's the beginning of a ministry God's put on your heart. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But the only thing that I would ask of you is please, please let me know what you did with the money. Even if you just go to lunch today and use it for lunch, let me know what you did with it. Send an email to info at tbachurch.com. Write it on your connection card. Put it in an offering box. You can be anonymous about it. I don't care. Just let me know what you did with the money. I've got to be honest with you. I'm still scared about it. I am because those bills have to be paid and they're still there. But at the same time, at the same time, I am excited because I can't wait to see what God does. And I can't wait to see how he's going to prove himself faithful. I hope you feel the same way. And the last thing is before we close, I want to offer you the opportunity to come and pray. Maybe you need to come up here and pray about what God wants you to do with what he's entrusted you. Maybe you need to pray about knowing who God is. Maybe you don't know who God is and you want to know what that's about. I want you to know that the pastors and the prayer team, we're going to be up here in the front. Maybe you need to pray for healing because your spirit is just broken. Whatever it is, I want you to know you have an opportunity to come and pray and we'll pray with you. What are you going to do with what God has entrusted you? What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have provided everything for us. God, you provide for our needs. And God, you bless us so much more than that. You go beyond that in our provision. Father, my prayer today is that we, God, that we would just honor you in the way that we handle what you've given us. God, that we would see that what we have is not ours, but yours. And God, that we would be good stewards, good managers of what you've given us and entrusted us for your glory and for your kingdom. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.